0: Hello, and welcome to the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. Our church has a passion to reach people who are far from God, teach them to follow Jesus, and launch them out to serve God in the world. If you're in the San Diego area, we'd love for you to join us for a service. Please visit questsd.com to learn more about us, find out service times, and explore our ministries. If you have any questions, send us an email at info@questsd.com. Thanks for listening and we hope you enjoy today's message. Titling in the meantime. There's two meanings for that. In the
1: meantime meaning Paul is going to encourage this church as they are waiting for the return of Jesus. In 1st and 2nd Thessalonians we see a lot of teaching on end times and the return of Jesus. So in the meantime Paul is teaching this church how to act, how to respond how to live as they wait for the return of Jesus but it also has the meaning of in the meantime in the sense of this church was experiencing a lot of persecution and trial and affliction so Paul is encouraging this church how to respond to that type of trouble and hardship as they wait upon the Lord and so um, the uh, the title of the message today we're going to have this up on the screen is a model Church, and that's because Paul, in the opening chapter of First Thessalonians, is is encouraging this church. I just I love this chapter uh, because I love the church, and I've dedicated the majority of my life to serving Christ's bride. But uh, I just love talking about and seeing the scriptures and Pastor Paul's heart uh, for the church. And the point that we want to remember today, as we read through and study, it's a very short chapter, only ten verses so we can jump into a lot of it. But uh, the point is that a quality church is valued by its people's character. A quality church is valued by its people's character. And you've heard me say this before here at the church, but uh, the church is not the steeple, it's the people, right? The church is not the location, it's not the building, it's not the facility. The church is the body of Christ, the people of God. There's a couple of analogies that are used to describe the church in the scriptures. One is the body of Christ, which speaks of our interdependency upon one another and our unity together. There's also a a metaphor for the bride of Christ, which speaks of our close relationship with God. As well as the building of God. That uh, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Paul in his epistle said that we are like living stones being formed and knit and fashioned together. And uh, so we become as the body of Christ the temple of the Holy Spirit. That God's presence is here as we meet and as we gather and uh, as always, as we jump into a new book of the Bible, it's important to understand some of the themes and even the context and a, a brief introduction to this letter. As I mentioned, one of the themes for uh, Paul's letter to the church is in Thessalonica is to encourage this new church plant. In fact, Paul planted this church on his second missionary journey. And uh, during the book of Acts, or in the book of Acts, you can read about his time there, that Thessalonica was a very prosperous city in Macedonia. And you remember that Paul had a dream. He was trying to go into Asia. And uh, as he was trying to go into Asia and minister the gospel and preach the gospel, the Holy Spirit didn't permit him to do that. You ever experienced that in your life? You try to go do something and God says, nope, I don't want you to go there. He closes the door and he says, I've got something different for you. It's really important for us to take heed to God's warning and go where he's leading us. But he had a, a dream and a vision of a man in Macedonia and said, come and help us. And he took that to mean uh, the direction of God. And so here at Thessalonica is one of those cities. And so uh, he was only there in Thessalonica only three, three weeks, so a very short time. And so this is a pretty remarkable story about a church plant that was planted in just three weeks, and now... Uh, Paul is getting word um, about this church from Timothy, who was sent there to minister. Timothy was a young pastor who was a son in the faith to Paul. And in is fact, uh, mentioned here in this first verse as one of those who are praying for and encouraging Uh, the church. So this is to encourage this new church plant. But uh, also Paul, in a couple of these chapters, is going to defend his ministry and character. And that's because there are people who are saying, accusing him of false things. So Paul is going to defend his ministry. And uh, another one of the themes is to address certain sinful practices, as Paul would uh, often do. And in these letters, it's uh, the emphasis and the focus of uh, being holy and pure. Paul is also going to address sexual immorality as well. And, so, um, and then lastly, maybe um, a, uh, another theme is to correct certain doctrines. And the main doctrines that Paul is going to address deal with the end times, as I mentioned earlier, with the return of Christ. But um, Paul, as I said, planted this church during his second missionary journey, staying there only three weeks in this city. But if you read the story in, in the book of Acts, you know that there was a lot of persecution by Paul. He was traveling from place to place. And there was a group of people who were following right behind him and um, trying to destroy his his ministry and trying to run him out of towns. And so in in this city, in, in Thessalonica, he was driven out by an angry mob. And he had to go from place to place. And uh, most scholars believe that, that 1 Thessalonians is, is the very first letter that, that Paul wrote uh, in all of his writings in the New Testament. And so this first letter is being written by Paul in the book, or excuse me, in the city of Corinth. As he is traveling from place to place, he lands in Corinth and writes this, this letter to the church in Thessalonica after he gets word about the good things that God is doing in this young church plant. And so uh, these are kind of the themes and a little bit of a background in history as to what is going on with this church as Paul opens up this letter and begins to encourage this church. And we're gonna see Paul address just a couple of things, a very simple outline for us. You can jot this down in the margins of your Bible or in your journals. One, Paul is going to encourage the church because they're very enthusiastic about their faith. Secondly, we're gonna see Paul... Uh, encourage the church about their example uh, towards other Christians and other churches. Thirdly, we're going to see Paul encourage the church because of their evangelistic mission and outreach. And then lastly, we're going to see Paul encourage the church because of the emphatic transformation and change that takes place in the church in Thessalonica. So, jumping into verse 1, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul, Silvanus, and timothy to the church of the thessalonians say that fast five times that's a tongue twister for you thessalonians in god the father and the lord jesus christ grace to you and peace from god our father and the lord jesus christ everyone say grace Grace. now say peace. peace so this was a very common introduction to a letter that was written now we don't write letters anymore who have you written a letter uh, to somebody and mailed it off recently? Probably not. Good. I see a couple of hands. That's great. Those are good. You, you think uh, you've got something special in the mail when you receive a letter. Uh, but uh, during this time and in this culture, you would write a letter and say who is writing the letter, then who you're writing to, and then a, a greeting or an encouragement. And so in this introduction to the letter... We have a couple of people, Paul, that's the Apostle Paul, that's the man who wrote most of the New Testament, but in the book of Acts we see Paul, before he was Paul, his name was Saul, and Paul was radically transformed and changed as he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Here was a man who was persecuting the church, who was fighting against God, who was very zealous about the scriptures, but... He didn't understand the truth of the scriptures. And so when he met Jesus, his life was changed and transformed and he began to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that just shows me that it doesn't matter what your background is, whatever experience you've had, whatever church denomination or tradition you have had in your background uh, or bad things that maybe you've done. Um, God can get a hold of your heart and God can use anyone for his purpose and for his glory. That's a beautiful redemption story through Paul. But we also see a man named Silvanus, which is another name for Silas. And so we know that Paul, excuse me, Silas and Timothy were companions with Paul. And what I love about this opening verse is that Paul wasn't a one-man show. He surrounded himself with a team that would support and encourage not only him, but also the work of the ministry. And Silas uh, traveled with Paul. In fact, uh, one of the famous passages of Silas and Paul was when they got thrown in prison in the city of Philippi. And here they were preaching the gospel and and making disciples and people were coming to Christ and they were establishing churches. And you would think, wow, they would receive a lot of followers online and all CNN and Fox News would come and KUSI would come and do a wonderful report on how the church is thriving. No, that didn't happen to them. They got thrown in prison. Can you imagine? I would have been complaining and I would have been like, okay, God, is this what I get for following you and sharing the gospel? But here, Paul and Silas, if you know the story, they were worshiping Jesus. And their example of worshiping Jesus and praising God in prison led many people in that city as well as the jailer in that city to Christ and his, and his household. And so God can use uh, very difficult and unfortunate and twists and turns in our life. He can use those things for his purpose and for his glory as we depend and rely upon him. And so we have Silas, uh, we have Timothy, who was like a son in the faith of Paul. He was a young pastor. In fact, First uh, and 2 Timothy is written to this young pastor as a way to encourage him to stay true to his ministry and to his calling. And uh, we see the opening greeting a church in Thessal- Thessalo- of Thessalonians, grace and peace. ...to you from God our Father. And then we get into the encouragement in verse 2. Paul says, we give thanks. Notice it's plural. So not only is Paul, Silas, and Timothy... ...but many others, other churches... ...are giving thanks to God... ...always for you all... ...making mention of you in our prayers... ...remembering without ceasing... ...your work of faith... ...labor of love... ...and patience of hope... ...in our Lord Jesus Christ... And in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. We'll just pause there as we see kind of this first point, Paul commending the church for their enthusiastic faith. And uh, first, Paul starts off by saying, I'm praying for you. And that's uh, just a, a beautiful picture of Pastor Paul on his knees before the Lord, praying and interceding for the church, for the people of God. Notice a couple of words here, always, without ceasing, his heart uh, and his prayers are focused in interceding on behalf of this young church, but yet had such enthusiastic faith. Notice a couple of other words, faith, love, and hope. Everyone say faith. Now say love, and now say hope. Have you heard those words before? Maybe if you've read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where Paul is teaching about the love of God, that love is patient and love is kind, and lo- love does not seek its own, is not easily provoked. And at the end of that, he says, and these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Here we find the first recorded Christian trifecta, if you will, of the Christian virtues. The virtues of faith, hope, and love recorded here. And really praising this church for having this faith. Now biblical faith is simply trust. Trust in God. Trust in his work. Uh, Paul was constantly preaching about the grace of God. And faith in that grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of work so that no one can boast. So Paul was preaching Uh, grace alone and as well as faith alone and the trust that we have in the truth of God and the promises of God. Secondly is love. Now you can't read the Bible without understanding this great virtue of love. The Bible says that God is love and that we should model and demonstrate that love. For God so Love the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And God demonstrated his own love towards us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The New Testament says that other people will know that you and I are disciples of God by the love that we have towards one another. So love is an expression and a quality and a characteristic of a follower of Jesus Christ. But there's variations of love if you read throughout the the scriptures. There's different descriptions and definitions of love. And the word love being used here in this verse is agape love, which is the highest virtue of love, meaning it's service and sacrifice. It's the love that God gives to you and I, sacrificial, genuine care and concern and love. And uh, this is the love that the church was, was modeling. And then lastly, hope. Hope gives us a joyful expectation of God fulfilling His promises. Even though we might not see all the details. Even though we might not understand how God is working. Even though we might not even agree with what God is doing in our lives. Hope is anchored in the truth of God and, and His promise to work out, as we sang in the song earlier, all things for our good to those that love Him and are called according to His purpose. In and of themselves, faith, love, and hope are beautiful. We could spend so many hours looking at scripture and cross referencing that, but also being convicted and encouraged how we are growing in faith. But what I find interesting about Paul's introduction here is that he says faith is going to produce something, love is going to produce something, and hope is going to produce something. And this is where real life hits the disciple and the follower of Jesus Christ. Notice there is a work of faith. Now, uh, I think it's in James, it says, faith without works is dead. We're also encouraged to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, the scriptures doesn't say that we earn or we, um, uh, we earn God's salvation by the works that we do. Remember, it's grace through faith alone. Uh, but there's a transformation and there's a change that takes place. It's kind of a big word, don't get hung up on it. It's uh, sanctification. And sanctification is the process of being molded and shaped and changed and purified into the image of God, into purity and holiness, just like God. As the Bible says, I am holy, therefore be holy. So there's this initial work of sanctification through uh, The the work of Christ on the cross that the old has passed away and all things become new. But there's also a progressive sanctification because as you and I know, we live in the flesh. We live in these physical bodies and there's a war within us uh, between the flesh and the spirit. And we don't do the things that we want to do. So it's not about being perfect, but it's about being perfected. It's about Jesus Christ working his perfect will and plan in our lives and being molded and shaped and changed. So there's a work of faith and what I find interesting is that this work of faith is happening within the church. There's other scriptures that support what Paul is saying is that faith grows exponentially through congregational assembly. When we gather together, when we support one another, when we fellowship together, when we pray for one another, Then faith is being um, encouraged and faith is growing that you and I cannot grow exponentially spiritually as well as um, in uh, spiritual maturity apart from the connected body and bride of Christ. That God designed us to grow in this work of faith together as the church. Secondly, there is a labor of love. Notice those words there. Now this word labor is not a fun word. It means toil and wearisome and strenuous. And I'm sure you know that it takes a lot of work to love people who are, quote, maybe unlovable. They could be sitting right next to you. No, we're not going to go there. (laughs) They could be in your home right now because they decided, oh, I'm not going to wake up and come to church. No, okay, we won't go there either. But it's very difficult. Sometimes you and I know to love people. It's hard. It doesn't come naturally to us. And this virtue of love that Paul describes, it can be strenuous. It can take a lot of work and effort. But genuine, sacrificial love that Paul and the scriptures describe here is messy and it's costly. And Paul is saying that the church in Thessalonica, as well as I pray uh, secretly, all the things that we're talking about today, I pray and hope, that is modeled and expressed in our church here Quest, is that um, there, that church was a place where people could come in and immediately be hit with the love of God. The love and the grace of God through the people of God. And one of the things we like to say here is that, you know, uh, the church is not a country club. It shouldn't be a country club. It should be a field hospital. And what we mean by that is that the church should be a place where broken people can come to be mended and healed by Jesus Christ. And as you guys know, as we look around this room, I don't see any perfect people. No, nope, I don't see, I'm still looking, I'm still looking. And that's not the case. They, every single one of us has got issues. We're a bit dysfunctional. We've got some brokenness and some, some rough edges and sharp elbows. But when we get people together, Who are unified. The beautiful thing is that the common denominator is Jesus Christ as our good shepherd. As well as the common denominator is the word of God. This is the common denominator as it goes out in each one of our hearts. And it begins to convict and and convince us and challenge us and and change us. As we come and gather around God's word. And we focus and, and follow the good shepherd. Then he begins to change our lives. And as we get together it's messy and there's a lot of cost that goes into Jesus Christ, paid the ultimate cost. If we wanna look at perfected love, we look at the cross of Calvary, because at the cross of Calvary, we see the love of God poured out through Jesus Christ. So this labor of love, we are encouraged and called as a church to be enthusiastic about the work of faith building up one another about the labor of love getting down into the trenches with people and loving them where they are but also being anchored in the hope in hard and difficult times and this is what was affecting the church at the time they were afflicted and going through persecution but there was a joyful confidence that eventually turned into and evolved into a peaceful perseverance as they trusted God and I think The anchor of hope that we have in Jesus Christ enables us not to fall apart or to drift away. And maybe you've heard from time to time, well, just follow your heart or what are you feeling? That is a very bad uh, counsel. Don't follow your heart. The Bible says that the heart is deceitfully wicked above all else. Who can know it? And our emotions change from moment to moment and day to day, sometimes in an instant. And if we were to follow our heart or follow our emotions, we're going to run our lives into a ditch and we're going to cause, it's going to cause a lot of problem and heartache in our lives. No, we don't follow our heart. We don't follow our emotions because those go up and they go down. We follow the truth of God anchored in faith in Christ and in his love and truth for us as well as the hope. This is the consistency of the follower of Jesus Christ. Sometimes people can get so worked up about certain things or, or or, even walk away from God because, well, they weren't treated right by somebody else. And unfortunately, that can happen from place to place or church to church or moment to moment. But Jesus Christ will never uh, abandon you. He will never abuse you. And he will constantly give you his grace and his love. Focus on his uh, perfection. Perfect love in your life, and, and not on other things. So faith, love, and hope—beautiful entrance and opening to this letter, and an encouragement. Not only this church was doing it so well, as as well as for us to model this uh, in our church. And in verse five, he continues: "For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power. Everyone, say power. power. Now lift your arms up and and uh, flex your your arms. I say power." Oh, I see only a couple of you are like, oh, I don't want to do that. That's weird. Power, right? This is the power of God uh, in the presence of the ministry and in the presence of the church. You know, one of the qualities of the end times is that there will be a form of godliness but denying the power of God. And you cannot deny the power of God when messy, broken lives encounter Jesus and their lives are transformed. That is where the power of God takes place. Where people are... Healed and delivered from addictions, where marriages are restored, where prodigals return, where lives are changed. You cannot deny the powerful work of God in a person's life. Now, how does that happen? Well, one, it happens in the gathered church, but also through the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice how we did not come with word only, but in the power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. As you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. So we have the representatives of God in verse 5. But then we have the receptivity of the church to the word of God in verse 6. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy. Notice they were joyful even in affliction through the Holy Spirit. That you and I cannot experience joy in the trials of life without the person and presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Is that not one of the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience. You can stop there, but the, 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 um, the qualities continue. But just in those first four are represented in these first four verses. The patience and the hope and the power and the joy of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit so that you became, verse seven, examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia, who believe. Secondly, Paul compliments the church on their emblematic, their example to other people. And as I mentioned, we have the representative, Pastor Paul. This is a beautiful picture of a servant and of a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think one of, not the, but one of the greatest gifts that Jesus Christ has given his church are servant leaders who are appointed by God and anointed by God. And they're not appointed by any institution or any uh, degree on the wall or any experience or any skill or any ability or any influence. No. The servant leaders that are following the good shepherd and serving Christ and his church are appointed and called by God through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. But they are also dependent upon his power for the work of the ministry. Paul says that... The Holy Spirit appointed me in the ministry as well as anointed my preaching. That Paul relied on the Holy Spirit to anoint his gospel preaching as well as his personal life. So his, uh, as we say, his walk matched his talk. He lived a life of example. Not only did he preach it, but he lived it. And you and I can sniff out a phony and a fake from a mile away. We can see hypocrisy in our spiritual leaders. We can see that they're not willing to do the things that they're actually asking other people to do. And you and I cannot teach people or show people to do things that we haven't and are not willing to do ourselves. And we can't lead people into places where we haven't already gone. And Paul says, look at my example. Now, that's a pretty tall order. Because we don't want to say to other people, well, look at my example. Because we're, we fail. And... Uh, Oftentimes, it's in our failure that we want to hide. But Paul says, it's in my failure that I want to expose. I want to show my failure because then you can see the power of God in my life then you can see that even though I am weak, I am made strong because of the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you serve Jesus Christ and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, none of us are exempt from relying upon the power of the Holy Spirit to be his representative as Acts 1.8 says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power to be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts. And notice what the Holy Spirit is doing. He has a couple of roles if you read through the scriptures. He convicts the world of sin, righteousness and judgment. He comforts those who need the comfort of God. He reminds us of the words of of Christ and points us to glorifying Jesus. So in Paul's preaching and in the preaching of the word of God, notice he was living an example. He says, you know what manner of person I was among you. So one, Paul lived within the community. He was accessible. He was available. He was right there. He was going from house to house. He was praying with people. He wasn't above. So if serving is beyond you... Excuse me, if serving is beneath you, then leadership is beyond you. You can't serve and love if you can't serve and love other people, then it's going to be a hard time leading and influencing and guiding other people as a pastor, as a shepherd, as a ministry servant leader. But here we see that not only is he living that example, but he's preaching it with the Holy Spirit activating that. So the Holy Spirit is bringing conviction. Uh, as well as convincing us and comforting us. And I know as I read the Bible personally and as I follow Jesus personally in my life, I need all three of those things. I need the Lord to convict me. And sometimes as we preach the word, as we go through the scriptures, you might be thinking, well, did somebody fill him in this past week about what's going on in my life? Who sent that guy a text about all my problems and now he's talking about it and there's this conviction. Friends, I don't know those things, but the Holy Spirit does. And the scripture says that it's alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It is going to pierce even the soul and the heart and the intent of our, of our lives. It's who you really are. Uh, As your heart is not the I'm not talking about the physical organ That's beating in the center of your chest I'm talking about who you really are Your person and your character And your emotions And your will These are the areas that are being spoken to By the Holy Spirit But also to convince you and I To move us towards faith in the truth of God's word Because I can't convince you I can't convict you uh, And it's the Holy Spirit That does that But I Can stand upon the power and the truth of God's word. And so the Holy Spirit, as Paul says here, as Pastor Paul was preaching the Holy Spirit, back then and even to this day, that the Holy Spirit works through the holy spoken word. That when we present the Word, when we preach the Word, when we teach the Word, when we walk through the word the, the pages of the Word of God, then the Holy Spirit activates in, that in our hearts. and there could be some things or some points on the screen that I may have prepared, but have nothing to do with God with what God is doing in your life and he's taking the Holy Spirit and he's throwing the ingredient of God's word and he's mixing it together with your last week, and he's dealing, uh, he's, he's, he's baking it with trials and, and persecution and hardships and afflictions in life. And he's saying, look at what I'm creating. It's something sweet. It's something good. And we we, we begin to be convinced of it through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the work of God in the church. A great gift that God has given to his church are those who would be anointed and appointed preaching the gospel. But notice how the church responds to this. The church responds in receiving. This is a great church. This is a wonderful church where the word of God is being anointed by the Holy Spirit and the people of God are coming with their Bibles. They're coming with their hearts open. They're coming with anticipation. They're leaning on the edge of their seat. Not to hear what Sherwood says. Not to hear what MacArthur says. Not to hear what Je- David Jeremiah says. I could the list could go on. Those guys are great, wonderful ministers of the gospel representatives and examples and people to follow as we're encouraged to do remember the faith of our spiritual leaders and encourage and pray for them but we're leaning into what God has to say to us because all this past week the world has been leaning into us it's been pressure and it has been hardship and notice they are receptive a church that is receptive to the word of God is effective in the world of men as they receive God notice That their reputation went out to all the world, all the known world. It was told of this small church plant, only three weeks old, were so fired up and zealous for the things of God. The power of the Holy Spirit was in the presence and lives were being changed and transformed. They were rallying together around the spoken, taught word of God. They were feeding and following. That's the picture of receptivity to the word of God. Are you feeding on God's word? A 35-minute sermon from Sherwood is not going to satisfy the longings of your soul. It's going to be an encouragement to you. But we have so many more hours and so many more days that we can feed upon God's word. But not only feed... Follow, He says, you followed our example, but you also follow the example in the scriptures through the Holy Spirit. And how did you follow God? Not only in the church, but also in the world. You follow God through crisis, but you also followed God in being an example to Christians. And this was a powerful thing. Paul said, I'm just so thankful there is the work of God in the midst. You're loving those who are messy and coming to him. You have faith that is working out power. You are receptive to the Holy Spirit working. Paul is complimenting and he's commending. But he's also saying that this work within the church is going to flow out into the community. Notice in verse 8. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia but also in every place that your faith towards God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything and to say anything there's a couple of uh, interpretations on that last phrase so that we do not need to say anything meaning that basically this church is putting Paul out of a job <laughs> that as he goes around he's preaching the gospel he's like oh yeah Paul that's good but we've all, we've already heard this from the church in Thessalonica they've been sending forth it's kind of like an echo Or it's like a ripple effect that when the word of God is activated in the people of God, it drops this big boulder in the midst of that community. And it's like a ripple effect that goes out from the four walls or wherever they're gathered. They don't have to be in a building. But as that goes out into their neighborhoods, it goes out in their communities, it goes out into their cities, it begins to splash the love, the faith, and the hope of God on all these people who are far from God. And they begin to say, wow, God is in their midst and God is working. Paul congratulates this church on their evangelistic mission to go out and to share. One, there is a reverberation of the truth of God. And secondly, Paul says there is a reputation of the people of God. And this is that echo as it begins to just carry throughout various cities, various homes and and various sounds. It's like if you were to spray yourself with some perfume or some cologne and you walk around you get a little scent of it and you know, wow, that's a nice scent or who is that or I can smell it. It lingers. The same is true of the follower of Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, the word of God just rippling and echoing and and transmitting if you will from their life as a sweet-smelling aroma to not only the churches or other Christians saying, wow, that's awesome, keep up the good work, go for Jesus, stay fired up. Because oftentimes we think about a three-week-old Christian, oh yeah, they're just really fired up about Jesus, it's okay, give them a couple of months and they'll calm down. Whoa, what are we talking about there? We don't want to say that. We want to be inspired by those... uh, proclamations of faith and we want to have that same zeal and that same passion but what happens over time oh well we've sung that song before oh well those donuts aren't that great oh well the coffee's not all that yeah the coffee well it brings up a question what makes a great church we were talking about this earlier oh well i don't know maybe it is the donuts maybe it is the coffee could we or should we or are we that's superficial When it comes to what makes a great church, we shouldn't be. We think about some of these things. There's a couple of things that we notice on our website as people are searching and coming to different churches. One is they look up the pastor. And uh, they look at, well, who's the pastor? Secondly, they listen to a message. Thirdly, they look at our statement of faith. And then fourthly, these are the most hits on our website. And fourthly, they look at whether or not we have a children's and, and stu- uh, students' youth uh, ministry. And these are great things to, to have. And um, I guess once they look at that first one, who's the pastor, then they move to the next church. They're like, <laughs> we're moving on. That's okay. Well, that's for somebody else, not me. No, but a church is not defined by who their pastor is. A church shouldn't be defined by what kind of coffee they serve or how good their refreshments are. Uh, that's not a, the quality of what makes a church great. Listen, we've already read. This is a, here's a test afterwards, so I hope you've been paying attention. No, what makes a great church is when people, normal people, ordinary people, genuine people, real people, come into a place like this and they just get hit with the whiff of the love of Jesus. They see faith working itself out through broken imperfect people they see hope because a lot of people are hopeless in our world today there is no hope people are putting their hope in temporary things and they see true real hope as a way to anchor their souls through the ups and the downs of life and they see that they don't have to live life alone that there is a community to belong there is a body and a congregation to be a part of that they are not alone. They can do this together. But they also recognize that the word of God is being preached. Not how good it's being preached, because we all know that that's not that great through this man. But it's not about this man. It's about the Holy Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit is, being, is, is teaching his word, you should find a church that is teaching the word of God. Going through the books of the Bible and teaching God's word and opening it, as Jesus said, Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that Sherwood has put on the screen. No! That's a joke. No! Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you and I'm with you always. To point people to Jesus. Do you have a church that has pastors and servant leaders and elders and deacons who are your servants, who live with you, who visit your homes, who pray for you regularly, who are available and accessible, who you can text and call, who are right there. That's a place where you've got shepherds who love. And we see this preaching of the word, this, this work of, the, of, of, of God in, in every place is a reputation. And this reputation is so powerful in this church that when God's word renews our lives, It has a ripple effect for all to see. There's a genuine work of change. But that we are also encouraged in these verses to see that a church and a Christ follower should have the gospel as its message and the globe for its mission. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the message we preach and we proclaim. And then lastly, we'll close with this because we have the opportunity to come to communion table this this morning and celebrate that. In verse 9, for they themselves, they get all fired up when we talk about the church. I don't know what that's all about. But verse 9, for they themselves declare concerning us. Who's they? Those are people, different cities. They're talking about you and what's going on in your church and through your people. They declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Even Jesus, who delivered us from the wrath to come. Paul credits the church at the end of this chapter with an emphatic transformation. You cannot deny that these men and women, that these families turned from idols. This is a powerful sense of change. To turn means to repent. To turn means to go in a completely opposite direction. You see, when you and I walk away from sin, and walking away from sin is the result of running into a Savior. When you run into Jesus, there is no other direction. The direction is to follow Him. And as we follow Him, we choose to pick up our cross daily. We choose to deny ourselves daily. We choose to be crucified in our own flesh and pick up that cross and follow Him. We choose to be changed. That We are walking away. We're putting down. For them, it was idols. It was something that was taking priority in their lives, worshiping other things. And we could talk about things in our lives that are taking the focus and the priority of our attention away from worshiping, away from fellowshipping, away from gathering, away from witnessing, away from sharing Jesus with others, away from growing spiritually, away from reading our Bible or praying. These are the simple things, but so profound in what makes a church great, a body, a congregation, a people of God great this is what makes them great it's the reputation it's the turning the walking away here's where the conviction comes in as we have our worship team come on up and they lead us in a song and we partake of communion we are told before we partake of communion to examine our hearts to see if there's any sin in our lives and you can't have good news without the bad news we've already talked about the good news is that God loves you He wants a relationship with you. And he's made that relationship possible by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross in place of your sin so that by his grace through faith, you can be born again. Your sins, though they are red as scarlet, can be washed away. You can have a fresh, brand new start. This is the good news, but the bad news is we need to do a couple of things. One is we need to admit that we're sinners. We need to acknowledge that sin to God. And the Bible says if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Another thing about a great church is that they are not afraid to preach the truth. You see, in Jesus Christ, there was the embodiment and the fullness of grace, but also truth. And I hope and pray that at Quest Church, that this is a place where you would encounter the grace and love of God. But you would also be challenged because if God fits inside of our box, he's not the the God of the Bible that God is going to convict us and he's going to bring us to places and he's going to teach us. There are things in the Bible that we are not going to like, but they're there because God doesn't like what's in you and I. And he wants us to get our hearts right with him, especially during this time and in this culture and what is happening because every single, uh, at the end of every single chapter in this book, 1 Thessalonians, it ends with the promise and the reminder of the return of Jesus. Get right with Jesus, because He is coming back soon. They turn and they repented. They walked away, they put down, they shut off, they turned off, they looked away. Whatever it is, as the Lord speaks to you in your heart, walk away from it, confess it. And as you walk away, notice, turn from to serve the living God, you and I, are called to serve, to serve him. When God changes everything in our lives, we begin to do something for him. This is another mark of a great church where you look up on the stage and you see just a couple of people doing the ministry or, or yeah, he's, he's the guy that does all the work. No, that's not what makes a great church. That's actually not even biblical. It's all of us together serving And working together, contributing and participating in the mission and in the work of God. Why? Because they waited. That's the reference to the return of Christ at the end of chapter 1. They're waiting for the return. And the future return of Christ should impact the present routine of Christians. It should impact the day and now. And I pray that it impacts and challenges and encourages us to focus in on the congregational assembly, to grow, to be rooted in faith, grounded in love, anchored in hope, to be focused on the scriptures, to feed and follow where he leads through the word of God, to share that with other people, to make Jesus' mission, our mission as a church, to be convicted in some of the things where we need to turn and walk away from so that because you can't hold on to Jesus and junk at the same time. And as we let go of things, then we put our hands to the work that God has called us. So with that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for this example of the church in Thessalonica. Paul, encouraging this church. Lord, I know that there's a bit of conviction that goes on in our lives through a message like this. I pray, Lord, for the ministry here at Quest that the teaching of God's word in the stu- with the students' ministry, the teaching of God's word in the children's ministry, the teaching of God's word in the men's ministry and women's ministry, the teaching of God's word in the life groups and home Bible studies, the teaching of God's word from the podium and the pulpit here on Sunday mornings would be filled with the fire and the passion and the power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Bring to life And may we be eager and enthusiastic and evangelistic and emphatic about following you as we wait for your return. We love you. We thank
0: you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions about the Bible, need prayer, or recently made a commitment to follow Jesus, we'd love to hear from you. Please visit questsd.com to get connected. You can also send us an email at info at questsd.com to let us know how God is using these messages to encourage you in your walk with Jesus. Until next time, we pray you have a blessed week.